Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Welcome to episode 27. I'm recording this on the 7th of May 2020. Here in the UK, we're still in lockdown, but our government is planning to announce some relaxation of the stay-at-home rules. A few more countries are gradually reopening businesses and monitoring the effect on infection rates and so on. We're hearing more in the press about the kind of future we need to plan for to ensure we don't focus our efforts and investments on things we already know are unsustainable. Academics, NGOs and business organisations are urging governments to invest in renewable energy, in localised manufacture and food systems, and in green jobs. Forward-thinking organisations are finding new ways to provide value to their customers and communities. And in this episode, we're talking to a social enterprise offering a wide range of value-adding services to its local community. Today I'm talking to Chris Hellowell, the founder and director of the UK's first tool library in Edinburgh. It works like a lending library but shares tools rather than books. Chris is passionate about the concept of sharing as a way to tackle the climate crisis and also as a way to save money and to build social connections in communities. Chris says that by sharing everyone is richer. The Edinburgh Tool Library started out as a set of shelves in a spare room. Now it's a citywide organisation with multiple sites, including a tool maintenance depot, two wood workshops, a library and a police box. The library runs classes, youth programming, skills development for disadvantaged groups and a volunteer programme transforming community spaces throughout the city. Chris, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast and how's life in Edinburgh during the coronavirus lockdown? Hi there, um, thanks for having me. Uh, life is interesting. Uh, it's very much changed and, and on a personal level changed, but also uh, for the tool library where we're sort of suspending our um, regular activities, but we're, we're really doing our best to um, put the assets that we have um, to use in the community. So we're, we're getting involved in, in volunteering with some other projects as well. So, so we're, it's keeping us out of trouble. Good stuff. And I'm curious to know what sparked the idea for the library and led to the set of shelves in the spare room. Um, so it's it's really um, something that's kind of inspired from a, a project over in Canada. Right? I spent a couple of years there uh, working and, and, you know, would, would sort of go back to visit friends and, and pop back for various holidays and things. And, and I, I saw a, a similar project while I was out there, but I, I kind of came in with a... Um, I guess a sort of social community uh, background and they were very much a 100% environmental project 
and looking at uh, tool and equipment sharing. And I kind of thought, actually, you know what, that some of the people that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis who are um, looking for work and struggling to, uh, you know, sort of make ends meet would, would really benefit from, from something like this in, in Edinburgh. Um, so, so initially I, I essentially assumed that it would, it would already exist. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go and join the Edinburgh Tool Library because there must be one. Um, and there wasn't, and I just started looking a little further afield and a little further afield and realised um, that there wasn't one in the UK. Um, and somewhat naively thought, well, how hard could it be? Let's, let's have a look into this and, and started, um, started the, the long road to setting one up. So um, that was uh, 2014-15 when I started with that. So it's, it's been a, a good wee while getting to this point, but it's, it's been fun and, and, a, and a, an opportunity to learn and uh, find out lots of things that I didn't know that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And what was the first stage of trying to get it going? Was it, was it looking for funding? Was it finding other people to help you? How did you kind of get it from the first germs of an idea to something that was a startup? Um, so, so it's interesting, actually. I mean, the, 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 the principle of it was never really that difficult to get the, um, you know, the general public or anyone I was explaining it to, to get them on board. It's, it's, it's almost like confirming what they thought a tool library might be. You know, it's not a, it's not exactly a, a radically, um, a radical concept and the, the name kind of gives it all away. But what, what was really tricky at first was because we were the first, um, it was kind of getting um, a, a charitable designation. So, so passing the test with um, Oscar, who are the, the charity regulator in Scotland. Um, because normally if you're setting up a charity, you're, you're um, essentially copying a model that they already have. So, you know, you're setting up a community cafe. So, you know, the Edinburgh community cafe is the same as the Glasgow community cafe, except it's in Edinburgh. So they, they know that that's a model that, that, um, that sort of works. So it was actually just uh, working with them to sort of explain in, in language that, um, that they were uh, sort of used to using uh, what we were doing and that, to sort of explain that we're not a, um, you know, a tool rental shop, which I think was their first, um, their first kind of take on what we were trying to trying to do, and um, that we're, uh, it was it was actually a, a conversation we had more around semantics, mm. um, and I, I got a little bit irritated by um, them referring to us as a, as 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 rentals all the time, and I kind of got to the point where we had a face to face meeting, and and I sort of said. Listen, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but can you please stop, you know, talking about renting? Like, you don't rent a book from a library, do you? Um, and and you just, I, I could see the sort of, you know, brain sort of winding back and thinking, oh, actually, if I, if I substitute borrow for every time I've been thinking rent, then actually I can kind of see how, you know, a library, a traditional library, is a is a public service that that this this is the same sort of idea. Um, so that was that was the first big hurdle, and, and from you know as soon as we got um, a, a charity number, I, I felt that was really important because people were already trying to support us and trying to donate things, um, but I didn't feel it was right to be accepting donations until um, until we got that sort of designation to say, well, yes, it, you know, it'd be great if you if you could pass on your old kit or um, you know any any tools that you don't need anymore. So mm, good yeah. stuff, and you started in the police box, I gather. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so, what did you start with? 
Um, well, most most people uh, most people ask if the if our police box is the same size on the inside as it is on the outside. And <laughs> un unfortunately for us, it, it was exactly how as, as small as it looks. Um, I mean, basically, it was it was through necessity. Um, you know, we we had a tiny bit of funding um, which would take care of um, sort of renting it for a few hours a week. But but what I really liked about that was as a, a principal you know, sort of core principle of the tool library, it's about maximizing the usefulness of things. And so in using the police box, we were, we were only renting it for four hours a week. And, it, you know, the rest of the time it was being used as a, as a guy sells um, Italian nuts there. And there's a, a vegan burger shop um, sort of set up one day a week. There's lots of people using it for lots of different um, so things. So it was like a weekly pop-up uh, so, then? Yeah, yeah, a weekly pop-up. So so we had the um, the software to be able to um, allow people to book the tools that they needed. So obviously we weren't taking hundreds of tools there every weekend. We were just taking the things that people want to borrow, um, which, you know, when, when we first started out and there, were, there wasn't, you know, hundreds of bookings, that was fine. Um, it becomes more and more of a challenge when people are, you know, there's 200 power tools going out every weekend. That, that, that now requires several people in a, in a cart. But, um, you know, in the, in the early days, it was a couple of big tool bags and, um, Maybe maybe the odd extra journey, um, but it was it was going from my spare room where I'm speaking to you, <laughs> to you uh, from now. So that's it's in, it's in a full circle. So what back kind of tools began. did? Sorry, what did you say? Back back where it all began. Back where it all began, yeah. <laughs> and what kind of tools did you start with? What were the essentials? Um, well, we we were really lucky actually. There was a a, a guy who made. Um, bespoke tree houses for um kids uh, who met a, a presumably lovely american lady and decided to to move to america to get married and essentially left us his workshop with essentially one of everything so um that was that was really um you know fortuitous in terms of um you know the equipment that we had so so we started with you know gardening tools but also woodworking um you know spanners machine repair um, you know, things for fixing cars, um, you know, painting and decorating stuff. We, the, the, the real, um, I guess one of the messages to take away is that, that the tools already exist. You know, that um, people have things that they're not putting to maximum use. And, and that's what the, the tool library and, and sharing libraries um, are really all about. It's about getting things into people's hands that often people don't need to actually uh, own because... You know, there's a there's a financial cost to ownership. Um, there's a cost of maintenance. There's a cost of storage, and there's obviously a, an environmental cost. Mm. So, 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 so if so I if I was local then and I decided I wasn't using my um, mountain bike maintenance tools, yeah, do I need to to donate them to the library or can I lend them to the library and kind of have priority access how does it how does it work or do i do i just kind of relinquish <laughs> you you relinquish all all <laughs> claims to them um we, we all, it's quite a common question actually um but, but what we say is you know if, if if someone is is wondering whether or not they're going to need to use them then we you know and particularly now we're in a position where we have um most things at least one version of them um, so we're quite happy to say, look, if if, if it's a quandary, then then you by all means hang on to them, and, and you know maybe in six months have, have a think about it again. Um, but once once they're donated to us, they they belong to the the tool library as a, as an organisation to the to the members. So um, we we do offer um, particularly in the early days, we were keen to get our inventory up. So we did say, you know, 
as long as you're offering um, or you're donating a tool that's that's worth the price of a membership, then then we'll give you a free membership to kind of encourage uh, those numbers. Um, you know, now we're in a position where we we have a lot of tools, so so mm. um, you know we 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 can we can take donations to pass on to others often, um, or or if they're upgrades of what we have, but we're um, in terms of numbers of tools, we're we're pretty well stocked at the moment. So, is there a is there a charge to be a member of the library? How how does the cost of maintaining tools and things like that? How does that all work? Yeah, so we have we have um, essentially two two prices. So we have a, a ten pounds for um, unwaged and people on benefits. Um, we also work with a lot of charities to sort of um, refer people over. So um, if that's a, a problematic um, cost, we can arrange for free memberships. Uh, we're actually as um, as part of the COVID nineteen uh, a way of saying thank you we've actually started a campaign where we're going to give a free membership to nhs staff in edinburgh and um, as long as you know they come along and show their badges and um, just as a, a way of us being able to offer something that we that we can um you know it's our way of saying thank you and it's something that we we have in abundance so um you know that's that's sort of a, an option for us whenever anybody comes and says look 10 pounds is more than enough i've got in the bank or or mm. you know perhaps this this money is or this um these tools would help me earn some money so that, that i can maybe give back in the future and that happens quite a lot and um, the standard standard cost is um, 30 pounds for the year um, and then we a lot of people choose to sort of pay it forward so they'll they'll buy a membership for themselves or they'll um you know and they'll, they'll buy another one for somebody else so, so that, um, that obviously helps with with our running costs so that pays for um running the facilities and maintenance mm -hmm. and do you have any other big costs or is it is it all volunteers or it's so so basically the, the interesting thing about the the tool library is is the the model's very flexible so we have um the, the, the main costs that come out of the membership are for um yeah rental of space insurance uh, we have a van that we um the electric van that that uh, goes to pick things up and deliver stuff and um helps with a lot of our um, volunteer projects so taking you know materials to, to various locations uh, for volunteer builds um and then we do have um three three staff um, but they're they're associated more with um, particular programs that we run mm. um so that, so they would um you know it would depend on 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 that sort of grant program um particularly if they're you know teaching groups or uh, working with particular um disadvantaged people um, to, to sort of teach skills or um you know build confidence in that community because mm. during the intro i was um listing some of the projects that you that the library's involved in mm -hmm. so you're running classes youth programming skills development for disadvantaged groups and a volunteer program so quite mm -hmm. a variety of of stuff already yeah. so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about some of those yeah sure um so I'll, I'll, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about them, but I, I don't think this podcast lasts that long. Um, I'll just tell you about a couple. So, so two that I think were really um, show the kind of um, the power in a in a community looking out for itself or looking out for each other. And we've got a really great um, project which is funded by the Volant Trust, which I think is uh, connected to. Um, oh God, I can't remember. It. Sorry. Uh, J.K. Rowling, um, so it's part of a, a trust fund that she set up, and it's particularly for uh, women's projects. So we have a, 
a project where we work with uh, groups that are supporting women who have been either victims of domestic abuse or lacking confidence or long-term unemployed. Um, and we take small groups um, that work with female woodwork tutors and they spend five weeks um, of five weekly sessions uh, building something for themselves. And then they spend three weeks building something cooperatively for the community group that they come from. So, um, so it might be a, a garden project for, for that community. Um, you know, they've done park benches, things like that. Um, so they, they build skills, they build confidence. Um, I think what's particularly power, powerful about that is, is when it's um, people who have perhaps been told that um, their value is, is less than, than, it, than it really is. Um, it's a great way of, of them thinking, you know what, I can do this and I, and, and I don't need anybody's permission. Um, that's, that's something that I'm incredibly proud of. And, um, you know, we've, we've been doing it for two or three groups now and we've got another um, sort of, when this is all finished with coronavirus, we've got another seven or eight groups in Edinburgh that we're, we'll be working with and lined up to, um, to take that on. Um, and then we also have um, a fantastic, and one of the amazing things about the tool library is that we create so many opportunities for volunteers. So, so there's the, the delivery of the services, the, the librarians, the, the workshop volunteers, um, but also we, we, we recognize that, you know, volunteering every, every Wednesday night or every Saturday afternoon isn't necessarily um, fit with everybody's uh, sort of lifestyle or, or balance of, of, of work and um, downtime. So we, we have um, usually around six projects a year where other community groups, charities, schools, um, come and suggest an idea that our volunteers can support them with. Um, and then the volunteers, we, we facilitate the volunteers um, project managing that, um, developing um, you know designs, plans, sourcing materials, working out what tools they need, making sure all the health and safety and the um, you know the kind of risk assessments are all uh, ready for that. Um, but then but then still it's it's still led by the the volunteers with support from staff. Um, and then it's usually over the course of, of a weekend or a couple of weekends, um, there'll be between 10 and 20, 30 people um, going out, volunteering, building things for, uh, we've we built a, a small vegetable shop and kind of potting shed. Um, we've built, uh, the one we're working on when this has all stopped was rebuilding a, a pirate ship that was um, torched by some arsonists in, at a primary school. So we, we've been ripping all that out and, and rebuilding it. Um, We've done uh, outdoor kitchens for primary schools, so mud kitchens, sand pits, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's really great because it, it connects us with other groups that are, um, you know, have a similar sensibility. We think that, um, you know, that, that community work and, and doing things together rather than having them done for them is, is more important. Um, I, think, I think particularly what I really like about the schools projects is, um, like it's you know it's very rewarding seeing get, getting pictures from kids of, of them playing in the, in the in the sand pit. But I think what's more important is those kids understand that all of that material was reused. It wasn't mm. um, it wasn't bought for that particular reason. We had um, when we did the, the project I'm talking about was just after the Edinburgh Festival, and we went to the the organizer of the Edinburgh Festival and said, look, any materials you have, we'll take them. So everything that they they see in their their playground. Um, was actually part of the staging from the, the circus tent. Um, so we have, you know, there was all sorts of astroturf and um, sheets of material. Um, so it's, they, you know, the, these kind of four or five-year-old kids 
um, understand that that used to be something else and it, and it wasn't wasted and, and that there's value in reusing things. Mm. Yeah, and not, not everything comes flat packed from a from a shop <laughs> from, from, a, yeah. from a swedish yeah shop. <laughs> exactly and so it sounds like a lot of the focus is on teaching people skills so it's not just if you know how to do this you can borrow a tool and and save yourself some money um, and mm. save yourself time in working out where where you're going to hire one from but you're helping people build lifelong skills as well absolutely yeah i, th- I think it's um for, for a variety of reasons, I think it's really important to to understand that that um, living a a, a less um, footprint heavy life is is not as difficult as as you know it might appear. And and then having the volunteers there, and, and, and we're very honest with with our members. You know, if we don't know how to do it, we'll we'll say that. We'll you know, but we'll say let let's find out together. Let you know if you're not sure about how to use this tool. Let's let let us show you before you take it away. Um, and it's and it's. I think for adults, I think it's a really valuable lesson to learn about um, being vulnerable and, and admitting that you don't know something. Um, that's often a an issue that we we have with um, uh, blokes, basically. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a sort of assumption that I, because I am male, I should know this. Um, and uh, often that's that's to do with. Um, you know all sorts of uh, assumptions that they're making about themselves, but um, but it's about saying, well, it's okay. But you know, um, you know, I don't know. I didn't know anything when I started this. I was not, I'm not from a trades background. I don't. You know, I've learned everything um, over the years. So um, it's just about saying, look, you know, you know what you know and what you don't know. We'll we'll work it out. Um, and that's that's the the beauty of tools. It's about making a job easier. And and um, that's a really nice way of of being cross cultural and. Um, you know, sort of working across various demographics is wherever anyone's from, um, whatever background they have, whatever, you know, if you, um, you know, want to call it class, that there, everybody understands the merit of a tool um, in making a job that's difficult with your bare hands um, mm. much more easy. Yeah, and the pride of having fixed something rather than having to Absolutely, um, let yeah. go of it. Though I did notice from your on your bio that um, there was something about you could fix anything with super glue and gaffer tape and I was thinking hmm, I don't think I'll be um, letting you any near my my mountain yeah, don't, bike don't, don't ask me to do your plumbing or your electrics yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah I guess you could add add Sugru to the um, list yes, of uh, yeah. um, miracle fix it materials oh it's, it's some valuable stuff <laughs> so um, were there any other ch- major challenges in getting it going besides working with the charity I, th- I think um, doing anything, you know, for the first time or anything new, it's it, it kind of, um, it was quite interesting because I, I, I sort of touched on it before. A lot of um, a lot of our work as volunteers when we first talk to people about it is not explaining it. It's it's confirming that what they suspect it is. But, but I think because it's such a basic idea that people kind of think, well, well, if it was just a library but with tools, then, then that seems really simple, and this probably would have already existed. So it must be something more complex than that. Um, so, so actually, a lot of it is, is spending time just going, right? What do you think it is? Yep, that's exactly what it is. And and it's this, and it's this cheap, and and you know, there's no catches, and we're a charity, and we're trying to you know get people making and and working as a community, and and so so a lot of it's kind of um, almost working against people's sort of slightly glass half empty 
um, underlying attitudes and saying, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not a con, it's not, not too good to be true, it's, it's a good thing and, and, and it's on your doorstep, hopefully, or, um, you know, at least nearby. And how's the demographic of your um, borrowers, has that changed over time? What kind of people come and borrow yeah. things? Yeah, it's so it's interesting actually. So, so, um, I mean, if we if we just look at um, gender demographics, when we first started, um, there was definitely the majority of men, sort of you know, sort of two thirds to a third. Um, but we we did notice that that um, as we kind of got a little bit older, and and I think people got used to the idea that the the gender balance in membership um, was all it's now almost fifty fifty. It's slightly um slightly more men but but you know 52 48 or something like that um but we did notice when we opened workshops so we we the workshops were sort of later left in the um later to come in sort of 2018 um that it was mostly guys that were coming into the workshop so we we sort of you know that was i guess anecdotally noticed it but we we did then keep an eye on it and and it was you know sort of two in ten um, you know, sort of twenty percent women and eighty percent guys. So we sort of looked at, well, well, you know, what might be the reasons behind that? And um, so we we specifically went out and found um, some female woodworkers to lead lead the, the workshop. So it'll be the first person that they see. Um, and and you know, we we sort of started, you know, being very conscious about the messaging when we're, mm. we're putting out social media posts and things like that. And and I think um, particularly since we started doing instructional talk classes and um, they are the majority women and because of that you know there's the confidence being built we're seeing the general um, balance in our sort of open workshops which are you know sort of drop in um, so there's definitely um, a much higher proportion of women in that there's still still more more guys than women um, but we have we've started a, a specific um, women only um, group every Friday night um, you know, to try and try and sort of balance that out in the in the general membership, and I and I think it is a, it's a legacy of, um, you know, the ways that way that things are are, are taught in in schools, and um, you know, the 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 guys go and or the lads go and do woodwork and metalwork, and the and the girls you know went to do uh, sewing and home economics, and 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 I think you know that has changed now, but we're we're yet to see them as adults, and um, mm. that sort of generation get to 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 be our membership, so. Um, so yeah, so so that that's kind of how, we, how we're trying to turn it when when we're not there yet. And um, you know, I think until we have a, a membership that perfectly reflects the community we're in, you know, we we need to keep working. There's there's definitely um, where we're based in Leith. There's a, a very um, international, you know, people from all over the world. There's a large Eastern European population and a, a large Spanish population. I think. Um, we're probably reaching about the right number of Spanish people, but we they, we are underrepresented by um, Eastern European community. Um, you know, we're, we're we're working with some um, some other groups that support them in in various different ways to try and get the word out there. Um, so so you know we're 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 trying and we're going in the right direction, but um, we're, we're not perfect. It sounds like you've got all sorts of ideas for how to engage different elements within the community, and um, you know how to do things that just encourage people to get that get their minds around the idea of making stuff and mending stuff which is brilliant yeah I, th I, th I mean i think it's i think it's really important and i think um what what i what really um the kind of you know we we, we generally operate little sort of three-hour sessions so whether it's a library session or a workshop session and the things where i really think 
you know, this is, if I could bottle this and, you know, the, the essence of what the tool library is, it's when you go in, um, there was one one particular day I could think of, and we, I went into the workshop and there was um, a Chinese student, um, an Italian, a Spaniard, three very local, like born across the road, Lita's, um, and they were and a, a, a Syrian refugee. So we, we have a, an arrangement with the council. So we give free memberships to um, new Scots um, from Syria. So, um, and they were all, we, we, we sort of stop everybody halfway through and make everybody make everybody drink tea um, <laughs> just to kind of build some conversation and, and, and talk about the projects and things. And I was just like, this is, this is, this is what we, we want to bottle. This is, this is the essence of what it is because you've got people from all over the world and the thing that's bringing them together is, is what they're making and doing things with their hands. It's got nothing to do with, you know, where you're from, you know, who you are, what, what my assumptions are about your background. It's about, oh, what, what are you making there? Tell me about that. And mm. I think that's, that's the real power of, of, um, of a community workshop like this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think finding out what you've got in common with people from completely different backgrounds is a really essential bridge isn't it to kind of then wanting yeah. to know more about that person and letting go of some of your you know prejudices that you might not have even realized you were um, yeah. holding on to um, so it's, it's really powerful so in terms of the the journey so far what would your top tip be for any anybody aspiring to either start their own tool library or another kind of circular economy enterprise i mean i, th- I think the, the biggest tip is that the the folks that are already out there doing it, you know, and um, there's there's already a, a, a UK, um, you know, it's very tentative, but there's a UK network of sharing libraries, and the very essence of sharing, you know, the people are open to to helping you. The people are, are willing to to pass on their tips to, you know, to sort of show you around. Um, and I think um, it's really not to try and. Um, it's achievable if somebody wants to just set out and do it themselves, but they'll make all sorts of mistakes that that I or you know one of the other two libraries have already made, um, and and we would rather you you know you came to us and said listen what you know what what should I do how do I what insurance company do I need to speak to you know how do I how do I do a, a constitution for a charity you know this because we've already done that we've already written it we've already um, got the paperwork like don't don't spend hours um it's very boring um, don't do that <laughs> spend some time with your family drop me an email um and you know we're, we're all very open to, to supporting each other it's a really nice community i think the covid19 um crisis because it's affecting everybody around the world what what's one of the few positives to come out of it is particularly in this sharing community is is that the fact that you know it's as much hassle for me to speak to one of one of the members of staff around the corner as it is to speak to somebody running the tool library in Baltimore or, or Jean who runs the, the database that, um, that we're all on, um, just called Myten. I'm, I'm speaking to him tonight. Um, that's as much hassle as it is to, to contacting somebody who works for the tool library. So, so actually there's, there's way more collaboration happening right now. Um, you know, we're, we're preparing documents to, um, to share amongst each other about, well, when we come to open up, how, how do we, and what, what procedures to be put in place to make sure that people have confidence in the, um, you know, in the in the, the steps that we're taking to keep mm. these tools clean? Because you know there will there's a it's going to be a very delicate um, time to you know people are going to be cautious about sharing things. Um, 
naturally mm. and and I mean and what we want to do is is have the right messaging to say look we're not just ha- taking them out of one person's hand that we don't know where it's been they're going to be clean they're going to have a you know time sitting in a um in a room for for anything on them to die or you know mm. we need to be very clear about that but but again we could all come to the same conclusions and we'll probably have the same policies and procedures but I, if we as a group all work together then we can do different bits and and, and help each other it's very collaborative mm, that sounds brilliant so not only sharing tools and sharing um instructions on how to do things but sharing knowledge and and uh, wisdom Absolutely. gained along the way brilliant yeah. and who would you recommend chris as a future guest for the program to inspire people about um sustainability and the circular economy um so i i've been reading um a book by Catherine Trebek, um, which is called um, The Economics of Arrival, which I've found really interesting, um, which is kind of um, based on the analogy of, of capitalism as a, um, a flight taking off and, and the sort of um, the trajectory trajectory that they, they're wanting the uh, economy to go in, but, but without the, the planning of, or without thinking, well, every flight has a destination and, um, you know, that plane um, has got to land somewhere. Um, so it's asking a lot of sometimes um, slightly uncomfortable questions about well, you know, when when where where is where is our destination and what what is um, what does fair look like and how do we make sure everybody's on board with us um, and and I think you know the, the the circular economy has a huge part to play in that. Mm. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll um, look up uh, Catherine Tebeck and the economics of arrival, and we'll put the um, link in the show notes as well. And Chris, how can people find out more about you and the Edinburgh Tool Library and get in touch? Um, well, another advantage of, um, or another slightly um, upside of uh, the COVID-19 um, crisis is that we've had enough time to spend and finally finish our, our fancy new um, website. Um, so they can go to www.edinburghtoollibrary.org.uk um, and that's a bit more information on all the programmes and things that we do. Um uh, we're also on all the social media platforms. So Twitter is Edin, Edin Tool Library and Instagram is Edinburgh Tool Library and Facebook just search the Edinburgh Tool Library and get in touch. Brilliant. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for telling us all, well, not all about it, telling us a little bit about the Edinburgh <laughs> Tool Library and all the brilliant programmes that you're running. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck in rebounding quickly after coronavirus and the lockdown finishes and i'm sure you'll go from strength to strength thank you very much thanks so much i love how the edinburgh tool library is finding so many ways to help people live better lives people save money by borrowing tools instead of buying them and people learn new skills that could be a foundation to a new career the library builds social connections on many levels Those enjoyable chats with a volunteer when you're borrowing the tool are much more interesting than spending ages traipsing around that out-of-town, soulless DIY depot. The library services open up conversations with people of completely different backgrounds. What's more, it's helping communities do good things for themselves, like the school pirate ship Chris told us about. It's showing people how to save money, to repurpose resources instead of contributing to consumption and waste, and to encourage the creativity inside all of us. Learning how to mend and make things builds confidence, and those conversations about what we've done, what worked and what didn't, all help to connect us. 
those experiences become part of our story, part of what we value. The Edinburgh Tool Library enriches lives in many ways. Standing in the queue at the DIY store can't match it. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.